Right. Well, welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. I'm your host, Anthony Wilson, and we're back with another episode. And so whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this by uh, way of podcast, I appreciate all of your support. Thank you for supporting this podcast. You guys are pushing it out there, man. We're growing quickly. Um, Got a great guest uh, today. Um, my man, Pastor Roy, uh, man, welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. You know, uh, this mountain time, East Coast time connection. Um, but yeah, man, definitely um, looking forward to connecting and, and having a conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, I've been uh, been been watching your stuff for a while. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, uh, what they call it just a a cute little story is that used to live in Colorado um, and were connected, you know, pretty deep in the Colorado community, you know, um, and now uh, you're in, uh, you're in North Carolina. Is that where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. So I, Hey, Pastor Roy, just share a little bit about what's going on with you and who you are. Yeah. um, So like I said, I'm Pastor Roy, um, Christian hip hop artist for over 20 years, which was some of those roots in in Colorado. So I was Royale when I got to Colorado. So people might have remembered seeing that on Rapzilla and all of the other stuff, the Worthy album that I dropped in 2015, kind of switched over to Pastor Roy like in 2017, 2018, um, as we started doing more ministry and like, you know, like outreach in the community in Colorado and feeding the homeless and doing uh, pop-up pizza parties for kids and housing projects and um, all the stuff that we did with On Faith Entertainment. So I kind of transitioned away from from that, from a music perspective. Like I still make music, but um, shifted more into to kind of like actual ministry, right? And being a pastor. So now I'm um, I'm actually the outreach pastor at a at a local church. So I'm our I'm over what's called our cares ministry. So our food distribution, our legal aid clinic. Um, basically everything for the church outside the church, right? How we serve the homeless. Um, because even our, our tagline and one of our taglines are on faith was we out here, right? So like we like to be out in the streets and in the community. And so still doing that, um, like you said, got the the Savage Truth Network because that's the, the our, my YouTube channel um, where you get the Savage Truth podcast, um, ask Pastor Roy questions. I do, you know, reviews on shoes. We talk about films and, um, and just kind of, I, I answer a lot of questions. I have a network of people that I mentor around the world from um, business ministry music family marriage whatever the case is so um so yeah man and you know that you know you got to put the plugs but like yeah can't nobody find me on social media because i'm not on it um <laughs> you know people can find people can find the executive because i'm also a technology executive it's my full-time job you can find the executive roy dockery mba on linkedin um but other than that yeah if you look i mean if you google roy dockery it'll pull up the website um and you can see the the podcast the youtube channel um, and our Discord uh, server. So we, we do have a Discord server that's kind of a private community uh, for the followers and the people in the ministry to connect and just kind of converse, man. We have real transparent, you know, we talk about, you know, we giving prayer requests in there. We giving people job advice. I think we've had two or three promotions in the Discord um, community um, into management roles just in the last couple of months. So um, that's growing, you know, and people are getting engaged. So yeah, man, so that's the that's what we doing on on this side of the on this side of the country. <laughs> hey man, it's beautiful, man. Just uh, doing the work of the Lord, staying busy, 
you know, operating in all the gifts, you know, when you got individuals that got, you know, the, those five, those five talent individuals, you know, you got to put them all to work, you know, you got to do everything that God has given you and do it, you know, to the best of your ability. So, man, I, I really appreciate you again, you know, taking time, us getting together, man. I've been looking forward to this. Um, <clears throat> at the beginning of the year, um, I think you were doing uh, some kind of series and uh, you were talking about uh, Father's Day. And um, you were like making the whole year, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, uh, of black, Father's black Day, Father's black, Day. Black, black Father's Day. Day. That's the one, Black Father's Day. Yeah, 2022. Uh, just share a little bit about, you know, what your what what the inspiration was for that that theme. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's funny. So every year for the last three years, we created this tradition as a family. Um, and we actually go to this camp in the North Woods of Wisconsin as a family. And that that camp normally starts on Sunday, which is typically on Father's Day. Um, and then for the last couple of years, I also talked to the camp staff about issues related to Black history, social justice, and um, and all of that. And then it would it would normally fall like the week of or the week after Juneteenth. So like when we were looking at our travel plans um, for being at camp, we realized like, hold on, like Juneteenth is on Father's Day, <laughs> right? Right. So when you talk about, and, and again, right, we're talking about being a father, but specifically being a black father, like this is a day that just got recognized, right? 2022 is a national holiday. Now companies are, are letting people take it off, right? Like, and so now there's this, this swell of significance around Juneteenth, but it's falling on Father's Day. So for me, I'm like, I felt like that overlap was when your birthday falls on Christmas, right? Or it's like you got to double celebrate because it's the liberation of Black people, right? Like one of the, you know, because the enslavement of Black people is one of the things that, cons that considerably deconstructed this, the, a Black family, right? So like that liberation is what actually allowed us to be fathers, right? Allowed us to be men of the household. So when that overlapped, I'm like, we got to double down on it, right? And so it even, it got to the point where it was a, a little bit of a campaign. Like I went to New York. Um, and went to the Basquiat um, Museum in New York because there's a lot about the relationship between Basquiat and his father. And I dropped a, a, a video on that. And then um, and then my wife was asking me, she was like, well, what's the like kind of what's the thought like in your head around Black Father's Day? And for me and, and, and you talk about like being there your entire kid's life. I'm like, what, what I'm trying to drive is that is changing the narrative that like black parent, black fathers are absent that Black fathers are absentee. And I'm like, so So with that, like my tagline with Black Father's Day is that present is the new normal. Mm. You know what I mean? So like, that's normal. Yeah. Like, cause, and to be honest, all of the Black men I know are present in their children's lives, right? Whether they're married, separated or whatever, like they're present, like that is the normal. Like, I don't know no deadbeat dads. Like I don't, like I know, right? I know thugs, drug dealers, gangbangers, <laughs> CEOs, right? Like everybody that I know is intentionally um, is intentionally invested in their children's lives, even regardless of the relationship with the mother. But like, especially for black men, like that's still not the persona of us. Um, so I was like, that's what I want to highlight, right? So like, and I want to find as many ways as possible, not just this year, but ongoing, right? To have conversations like this, where we elevate the reality. Because the, I mean, the statistical truth is that black men are the most engaged men in their children's lives when they do surveys, right? Like it comes back that black fathers are more involved in the in the day to day lives of their children than any other man. Um, and like that's reality. But we need to make that the norm and stop letting the baby daddy, you know what I mean? Like whatever stereotype dominate the conversation about black men as parents. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 definitely with you on that. Like, you know, we were telling we we're talking off air, you know, I've been there. I I, I both of my kids came into this world in my hand. I, I cut the cord. <laughs> You know, you know, it was some real old school type stuff, you know, brought them both in this world and and been, you know, present from day one, um, you know, recitals, football, you know, volleyball, you know, whatever accomplishments in their life. We've been step stride for stride, step for step. And it's because, you know, for me, I didn't have my dad. As a matter of fact, you know, um, since we're talking about fathers. I didn't even know who my father truly was until my mother was getting ready to pass away. She finally yeah. told me who he was, you know, on her deathbed, you know, and somebody was like, wow, that's a shame. You know, I mean, it is what it is, you know, but yeah. for me at that time, I was already invested, you know, and, and I went, we went through some struggles. Me and my wife been married for 25 years and we went through some struggles where, you know, there was, a, there was a point where, you know, there was, you know, the words divorce were out there and, you know, you start thinking about, you know, am I going to be relegated to a weekend dad? You know, are we going to, you know, uh, you know, complete this, 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 this thought process that people have of you? Are you going to become that guy, you know, that people yeah. think, you know, as a black man that you are, you know, by the grace of God, the Lord restored our marriage. Um, the, 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 the chain was unbroken, so to speak. And we were able to go forward, you know, and and we say all the time, you know, me and my wife that we are, you know, curse breakers, you know, when people talk about generational curses, you know, and and we're not going to get into theology around that, but the cycle, you know, that, you know, was in my life did not carry over. And my prayer is that, you know, I raise, you know, children that do the same or raise a a young man that grows up to be that same type of father um, who is present and accounted for. And so I think, you know, especially black men uh, being in the lives of their children, being there, whether, like you said, whether the marriage part works out or not, yeah. you are still a father, you know, um, what we'd like for the marriage to, you know, be in place and stay in place. But even if that's not the case, you're still a, a father and that role is sacred and is significant um, to the next generation going forward, you know? So yeah, man, I, I'm I'm liking this already. I'm liking this already. Black father. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I can <laughs> and I can add to that as well when you talk about father, right? Same thing. Like my parents got divorced when I was two. So like I don't I don't have childhood memories of my dad. You right. know what I mean? And even looking at my even looking at my wife, like between me and my wife, our parents have been married 12 times. Wow. Like collectively. So like we don't we don't come from a like one marriage, one family kind of um dynamic, right? We you know, my, my mom got pregnant as a teenager with my older brother, right? Like, um, you know, my, 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 my wife got, you know, my wife, you know, she, her, her mom got pregnant, um, at a younger age too, and, or got married at a, a very young age and then, and then had her as well. So like that entire dynamic is, um, it's interesting because like you said, when it comes to an example and whether, you know, people talk about generational curses or not, but the example, right. Right. Like, I didn't, I, and even, and even other people around, like I didn't have healthy examples of fathers, um, being present, even in, uh, you know, other subsequent marriages from my, you know, from my, from my parents. So it's the same thing, man, it, it, you know, but it was just being committed to say that, like, look, you know, deciding to bring a child into this world, like I've, I've got to, I've got to look to my heavenly father as the best example of, of what I model or what I try to model and work towards when it comes to grace and patience and, 
um, and, and kindness and providing and, and, you know, all of that stuff as well. And, and trying to be that to my, um, to my children. And then at the same time, um, demonstrate my faith, right? So that it's something that, um, that they just don't hear about, but it's something that they see. It's something that they know. It's something tangible to them um, where they decide to move in that same path because of the example, not just the words, right? Not just the rhetoric, not just the, the ministry, because um, that's always interesting to me, right? It's, it's normally like, because it, it's the pastor's kids that are normally wilding the most, but that's because there's a lot of theory. There's a lot of theology, um, but you got to be intentional about being present and setting that example because we can, you know, we can be present for our members, we can be present for our parishioners, we can be present for the people who have problems and we've spoke more into their lives and tried to be more an example um, by providing that and by basically sacrificing that availability and being present for our families, right? That's why your family is supposed to be your first ministry. Um, and, and people, we and pastors fail at that often, <laughs> right? Um, and, and we still see that, you know, see that prevalent across all denominations and all faiths still, um, because sometimes it's, it's, it's easier, it's easier to project even sometimes the, the facade of the pastor in the Christian to the people who not with you 24 hours a day. So, right. So it's easier to say that in front of them, but then be home and be nasty to your wife and cussing out your kids and being short and patient, but you preaching to folk about how they should be doing something um that you're not modeling and when you have that disconnect right an example i think that's when a lot of kids walk away from the faith a lot of kids walk away from what their what their their father or their mother represented because you said it but it's not what i saw you doing right, right. so that yeah, so say, that, that example is important <laughs> exactly right and even that quote i hate that quote i've never said that to my children it doesn't make any sense to me and, and and I'm with you, man. And I, I talk about that all the time about reprogramming, you know, is that really your words? You know, is that what you really wanted to represent? And, and you're absolutely right, man. Um, when when we knew um, that it was going to step into pastoring, me and my wife both said, Lord, w- please, you know, our children are our big priority. You know, we want them to be taken care of. And, and God has blessed our children. And Part of that blessing is being, you know, like you said, present every step of the way. Um, some of the, the 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 deepest theological conversations I've had has been with my own children. You know, yeah. sitting down and you know they come home from school and well, you know, well, Dad, why did they say that? You know, um, uh, 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 Jehovah Witness and Mormons and Catholics and all these are Christians. Well, let's sit down at the table and let's talk about yeah. why they say that. And here's the, you know, the connector, but here's the differences. And we were having those conversations at 12 and 13 and 14 years old. And, you know, my children are blessed to have gone on to college and done ministry in college with FCA and crew and um, um, uh, disciples for Christ, ambassadors for Christ, daughter started a Christian sorority. I mean, they were living out their own faith you know, even away from home, which is a beautiful thing. And it says that the foundation, you know, was laid uh, to the best of our ability because none of us are perfect, yeah. right? As, as parents, yeah. it, it, you know, there's a lot of things we wish we could go back like, why did I do that? Or could <laughs> I have done that differently? You know, but to the best of our ability, you know, try to lay that foundation, especially as men and as black fathers, you know, um, I was a football coach, coached both of my kids, 
you know, basketball, football, whatever they were doing, I went and learned how to do it so that I could be fully invested and involved. If they were playing yeah. the tuba, I'm going to go take some tuba lessons and see <laughs> if I can help them <laughs> with the tuba. Yeah. That was just my way of staying connected um, and involved. So for you, um, how do you stay, you know, connected and involved uh, with your children? Yeah, man. And it's, and I mean, and that's been, you know, even a, a struggle, right, over years. And I mean, even even when I was in Colorado because of work, right? So for the last 12 years before the, and I, you know, and I tell people, and I've said it on my podcast before, like the pandemic, and I, I don't want to say this, you know, I know people lost loved ones and everything like that, but like the pandemic was a blessing to me because before the pandemic, I spent 75% of my time away from my family. Wow. I yeah. spent 75 to 80% of the time on the road. I was in hotels. I was at the Marriott 220 to 240 nights a year, um, 80, 90 flights nationally, internationally. So it's like, um, so for me, like it was, it was really being intentional and being present when I was at home. Um, it was the, it was the structure of our family where my, my wife's been at home, um, since my oldest daughter was born. Right. And she doesn't have a requirement to work because we, we struck that balance and, and providing and making sure that they had an environment, right? People around them um, that was supportive. Um, but then it's it's really that one-on-one relationship with each individual kid, right? And even though they come from the same, they come from the same pot, they're so uniquely different. Um, and like you said, it's being interested in their hobbies. It's um, it's digging, right? Like you said, it's soccer, it's tumbling, it's gymnastics. My like, I you know, I'm I, I just converted my garage into like a workout thing because my oldest daughter is doing parkour. Right. She got me out there hopping over blocks and doing vertical jumps and vaults and all other kind of stuff. I wind up breaking myself down. But um, but it's being intentional about that time, even when it's limited um, and just always creating that space for my family. Right. Like like if I'm like, you know, when I set time aside for our family. So we do like game nights on Thursdays. We do movie nights on Fridays. Right. Like um, I've got a 13 year old, 11 year old and a five year old right now on a regular basis all of my children still sleep in my room right <laughs> and it's like and it's a request like it's not they're like can we sleep in your room tonight because I, I mean we have I have a big room but it's like we've got like uh, recliners so we've got like a reading area in our room with recliners so my oldest daughters will come and they'll they'll set up their pillows and their blankets and and, and lay the recliners back and then my son will come jump into bed who's five between me and my wife um and they just want to be in our presence, right? So I think just making that space um, as a family, like one of the trade-offs that we did as well that helped because when I wasn't traveling, I worked from home. Um, so my kids have also been homeschooled for like the last eight or nine years. Like even when we were in Colorado, we were doing co-ops. So even, even when I'm, so like I still spend a lot of time with my family, even though like when you do the hours, <laughs> Like the number of hours that we spend together as a family is significant. The amount of hours that I spend with my wife is significant because through the pandemic, it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and it was amazing, right? Like it was just like, I already knew them well, but like I got to give them more time. I got to be more intentional. We got to know our neighbors, right? Um, you know, we got to understand our community and to serve our community, like um, and the thing is, we just we do life together, right? Like when my you know my one of my oldest daughter is a is a is a lawyer in teen court, right? My my youngest daughter loves to bake cakes and cookies for the police department and the fire department, right? Like I helped her start her own YouTube channel. She got like a video on YouTube with like five thousand views. Like her her weekly views is higher than mine. Um, and it's like, but helping them build that. My five year old son has a gaming channel, 
just and it, and he just wanted to learn how to use the video switcher. So like, yeah, man. So it, it's being intentional and like, and I and you said it. Not just doubling down on it. Like, just with, you know, kids change their mind all the time, right? Like they love something one day, but really being present and engaged and invested in what they're doing. Like, yeah, you're gonna waste money. Like, yeah, they're going to like something today and you're going to buy some cleats or some pom-poms or some basketball shoes. And then next week they're going to want to play tennis. My kids are in tennis lessons right now, parkour lessons, swim lessons and golf lessons. Right. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I just want to be there um, and make sure that right striking that that healthy balance. Um, And I think the other thing about it that really ties us together as a family is we serve together. Right. Like my son. My son was four months old and we were at the Denver rescue mission in negative 24 degree weather feeding the homeless when he was four months old, like in February of 20, maybe like 2017 or 20, yeah, maybe 2016, 2017. So like freezing cold outside, my daughter on Valentine's Day, right? My daughter handing bags of candies with notes in them to, um, to the men and women out there. So they've been serving with us in the community at my concerts, right? Like, and just seeing the way, not only that we, that we proclaim to love God, but like, I love the fact that our, that my family, we've spent a lot of time together loving people intentionally and loving people that can't help us back, loving people who aren't just in our family, loving people who aren't just in our, our church. And even right now, like my family, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Atlanta today. Um, my family went and delivered food to the senior citizens in our community um, and then delivered food to um, to the housing projects and some other neighborhoods um, that are around our church. And that's every other Tuesday. Um, and so that's the other thing apart it as well that I think kind of keeps us connected um, is that we also like serve together in the ways that we're called and we leverage everybody's gifts in the family like in the way that we serve people. So it's like, we've made that our mission that like collectively we have gifts. And so like our family is a ministry. So how does our ministry support people? How does our ministry pour into people? Um, and I think that keeps us really, really closely connected as well. Yeah, I think that's that's beautiful because I, I share the same, I share the same story. You know, um, our, our family has served together it's never been, you know, it's never been, all right, mom and dad are gonna go and we're gonna go do this. We all went, you know, if we were, like you said, um, um, handing out food, if we were uh, uh, doing a, a, a clothing giveaway, if we were, you know, taking over a gas station and pumping and praying and whatever we were doing in the yeah. community, our children uh, were a part of that because we we did see that. We saw our whole household um, as we, we, we do ministry together. We serve together because each one of us are uniquely gifted by God. And so when they went off to college, they carried that with them. So doing yeah. ministry on the campus was not a new thing for them. It was actually something they were looking for when they, when they got there, they were like, okay, where can we get involved? Because <laughs> yeah, where am I going? Not, I got to get to work. You know, we don't just go to church, right? Yeah. We be the church, right? So we're going to, we're going to get out of the four walls and we're going to do some things and we're going to you know, mentor some people, we're going to disciple, we're going to, you know, do outreaches, worship nights. I mean, our kids, it, you know, one of the beautiful things was, is that both of the colleges, you know, and this wasn't just our kids, it was some of our youth too. When all of our youth started going off to college, they started in bringing us up to the colleges, you know, to yeah. do teaching <laughs> and Bible study. And I was like, wow, they're now bringing us, <laughs> 
Whereas yeah. before, you know, we were bringing them into stuff. Now they're bringing us. They're like, hey, we're going to do a worship night. Why don't you guys come up and be a part of that? So it's an amazing thing when you build that. Um, and like you said, it, it allows you to stay fully connected. And you, your household sounds like mine. You know, we do a lot together, even though uh, kids are grown now. Um, man, people used to be like, man, the Wilsons is a click, man. Y'all tight. Y'all down like four flat tires. Like, yeah, man, we, you yeah. know, until, until they get into their building, their families, their marriages and things like that. I feel like it's going to be that way until that time. And so, you know, I think as a father, you want to, you know, give that, that space. What were you going to say? Yeah. And, uh, and that's, a, and that, no, that's what I'm right where you were, where you were ending on that point and that, and just talking about fathers, I think that's one thing that we have, you know, being able to traveling around the world and having people from different economic statuses in my life and from different cultures. Um, I was like, man, like, when did when did black people start throwing our kids out the house at 18? Like, why did this become a thing? Because as a father, right, I've got two daughters and a son and my two oldest kids are daughters. I've told my daughters since they were born you do not have to leave my house until right. you get married. And my son, the same thing. Like, why would I want my son moving out, paying somebody rent instead of saving up money so that he would have the ability to be able to invest in his family and or start a business or whatever he wants to do? Because I said, and I told my wives and my son, I said, like, son, until you decide that you're going to be a husband, you're still my son. Right. And I'm your father. It's my responsibility to take care of you. And I told my daughters, I'm like, until you you leave and cleave, like if you if you choose to get married, if you want to live your life for the Lord and do ministry for the rest of your life, I said, it's even my responsibility. If y'all get bigger and this house ain't big enough, I'll just build another one. <laughs> right. I'm like, this this the second house. Like I don't built my house around my kids twice. Right. Like <laughs> if you get bigger, I will build another house. It doesn't matter um, because that's my responsibility. Right. Like as your father. Um, to have that covering for you. And I think that gives them a level of comfort and peace as well to say that like when I'm 18, I don't have to have things figured out, right? And like, and then I'll notice that. Like, I, it was weird because like I would notice like, you know, I would have like white friends when I was in the military or coworkers who like 28 years old making six figures and live with their grandmama in there. And it's not like, it, and there's no shade to it. There's right. no, they're like, yeah, because they move out of their parents' house and they buy property like cash. Or they right. put in, or they they put in a hundred thousand down on a house and they got a mortgage payment that's like eight hundred dollars a month and you living next door with your twenty four hundred dollar mortgage payment because you wanted to jump out on your own at eighteen because like because like and even my daughters will say it now they're like yeah the only reason people really move out their parents' house is if you're trying to do something you weren't raised to do yeah. right because other than that what you need the space for like if you're dating and courting like. I'll give you that flexibility. But if you're trying to go get drunk and be high and do all kind of reckless stuff, and that's the thing, you're not going to do that in my house, but then don't raise them kids. Like raise different people <laughs> who will who can go experience, right? But then they always know that they've got that safety of to come back here where you're grounded. Because I think a lot of people, when they go to college, they can get lost, right? Like you've got to have that home where they feel grounded. Like they know that like if something goes wrong or if this isn't working, I know where I can go back um, to get connected and to, and to kind of go back to my true North and recenter myself and be like, this is who I am. Cause, and even when my kids were young and I've always, and you, you know, you just said like the Wilsons are a click, right? Like <laughs> right. I always had this, but I always had this language and my daughters would start doing something, especially when they were in like private school or public school. And I'd be like, who are you right now? Right. 
And they were like, what do you mean? I said, because you're not acting like a, you're not acting like a Dockery. Like you're acting like X, right? You're acting like a Smith because you've been hanging around a Smith, but this ain't the Smith's house. Like I'm not the Smith's parents. Like, right. Like you are my child. Like this is our culture. This is our family. So I'm like, if you want to act like you can act like Ariel if you want to, but Ariel don't live in this house. Ariel daddy ain't got this money. Like you, you ain't like this is this is like this is Alina's toys. My oldest daughter's Alina. Like this is Alina's toys, Alina's room, right? This this is Alina's house. This is I'm Alina's father. Like Alina has access to everything that I have. If you're not acting like my child, who I know you are, then I don't like then you can go over there. Like I don't know what that looks like, right? But I'm and then it, it was always like bringing them back. Like, just remember who you are, right? Like, remember who you are um, and, and what we represent as a family and like what we're trying to, what we're trying to build. Because I realized early on, like, I don't know what this looks like, right? I didn't have examples of this. So I got to create this culture and then try to make sure that we're perpetuating like a black ethnic Christian, well, black Jamaican <laughs> ethnic Christian culture through my daughters. Um, and I've just seen it. I've, I've seen it continue to take root and like deepen over years. Right. Like where my 13 year old. So, so is let like me the ask you this person you'll ever meet. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, you know, this is a question that my wife and I would discuss a lot. As far as building and moving forward in life, do you think there's an advantage to not having any, you know, father figure versus having maybe a bad father figure you know is there is there one situation better than the other or you know what would you say about that (laughs) I think um well either I actually to me personally right like I'm an (laughs) applications engineer right so to me personally it was like my father wasn't like you said you didn't know who your father was like I knew who my father was I knew I looked exactly like him. I knew his family. I knew my grandmother. I knew what he was doing. I knew he was successful. Like I, I knew things about my father, which allowed me to have. So like I had an innate longing mm. for a father, but didn't have it. Like I don't like, so I can't say what that would have felt like if I was a kid who just knew my mom and didn't really even know a dad was supposed to be there. So like, I had a tangible gap because I did have some connection with my father. My parents got divorced. I know he's there. I see him like every two or three years. Um, So there was still like a necessity. I think a lot of young men are raised by women, right? Especially when they don't have a support structure where you try to almost exclude that need from their life because you know it's not there, especially if you don't have other men around to fill it. So like for me, I was able to take Right. I'm able to take like what I think I wanted from my father. Hmm. Like the things that I felt like I was missing. And then I want to make sure my son never misses it. Right. So like I did a I did a poem about like, I don't know what it feels like to be a little kid and to be completely engulfed in my father's hug. Hmm. I don't know what that feels like. Right. I don't know what it feels like to run up to my dad and like plant my face in his growing like your kids do. Right. They (laughs) just don't care. Right. right. Like run right into you and then put their face on your thigh. Like, I don't know what that feels like as a kid, but it's like, but like, I'm learning, like my son does it. And then I'm like, this is what this should feel like. Um, so I, sometimes I think it's, it's good to have a, like a, a bad example 
because then at least you know what you don't want to do. Mm, okay, okay. Right? So, like, it's like, you know, like, I didn't have a lot of examples growing up of good marriages, but I had examples of bad marriages. <laughs> so there were things that I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Right. Right? Like, I'm I'm not, like, it doesn't, you know, I, I was already at the point before me and my wife even had kids. They're like, it doesn't matter what happens in my marriage. I will never leave my children. Right? Like, that doesn't matter. So, and so I think it, I think it helps from, from that regard. But at the but at the same time, I'm kind of in the middle, right? Because it's not like I had a dad that that I had a close relationship with. So I did build from nothing um, yeah. with like this this very you had scaffolding. <laughs> yeah, I was about to. I was trying to find the word like scaffolding, or it's, it's just the it's the outline, right? Right. Outline. So I had the outline. There was no detail in it. There was an outline, and I'm like, I know what that is. But then, I, like over the years, I'm going through as a father and like coloring that outline in but there was there was something there even though there was really no no substance to it so it's still basically built from scratch but there was something in me because I had been connected to my father that was always pulling towards that anyway because one thing I didn't mention earlier like when I was 18 years old in college my father was actually stationed um up in Virginia and I was in college in North Carolina so I started driving like every other weekend and just go spend time with my father mm. And like that something in me was still yeah. pulling. Like I look exactly like him. I'm like, I need to like, what kind of books do you read? What do you like? What do you do? Like learning more about because that's the Jamaican side of my family, like learning more about that culture and in, in our family. So like, even though like I had no relationship, there was something that still pulled me there. And luckily at that time, right, like I, you know, I, I, had, I found Jesus. I got saved when I was in college. Um, and, and even some of probably that that push that would have been in my heart, like that resentment. Like I felt so loved by God. Like I didn't really have a lot of space to like, to like hate my dad. So it was like, I just wanted to know who he was because there was so much, there was so much of me that reflected him, right? That I was like, I just wanted to, to go get to know. And so, and I, so I, I know that was there because I wound up following up on that pull like 15 years later and making it a, and taking it upon myself to build a relationship with my father. So, yeah, I think, you know, um, you know, cause me and my wife would have that discussion, you know, is it, is it, which one is better, you know, to have none, you know, or to, to have a bad father or a absentee father, even though they're in the house, you know, and like you said, you're kind of in between because he wasn't always around, but he was within, you know, striking distance. You could, you could yeah. get to him, you know, you <laughs> yeah. could get to him, even though he wasn't. And so I, I think though, you know, building from scratch, you know, what I've learned about men, is that that's what we do anyway. You know, we're pulling from all different things and piecing together who we believe that we are. You know, a lot of times that's how we go through our process, you know, and having a father and being able to glean from him or having somebody in our life that we can glean from, because that's what we're going to do, you know, throughout yeah. our life. We're going to run into mentors and we're going to take from that person. We're going to run into and we're going to take and we're going to try to build the individual that we are. You know, I remember um, riding one day. Uh, my son was sitting next to me and, and I was, you know, driving in the car and I kind of leaned back and I kind of looked up over at him and he was kind of leaned back and, and <laughs> it's like, it's like he was mirroring me. And I don't know that he even remembers doing that, but you know, that having that, you know, even just the framework is a piece of our development. And so I, I think if fathers would really understand that, you are very significant and changing that narrative because like you said 
you know, a, a lot of the fathers that I know, even having this conversation with you, I got another pastor friend, um, uh, JB, Jonathan Bratcher, him and his wife, their family is kind of like ours, you know, and, and they are, he's present, he's accounted for, he's very active. I had another friend, Chalmer, he's uh, uh, actually JB's in Fayetteville, uh, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, my friend Chalmer, he's in Austin, another man that's fully invested. He's there in his household, experiencing them growing up, you know, and going through the same things, the same story that we're telling, they're telling the same story that the, from, from trying soccer and football and all these different things and yeah. whatever they wanted to Kung Fu, whatever they wanted to do, you're walking through it with them. And I think that is such a, a precious gift that when you didn't have that, you know, I remember when I gave my son his first haircut, I, I, it, it hit a chord in me that I didn't know um, <laughs> was there, you know, I'm giving yeah. him a haircut and man, I'm start tearing up like, Whoa, what's, what's this? What's this? Yeah, and yeah. just really realizing that I never had that. And so all these yeah, firsts yeah. that I was having with my son, I had never experienced on my own, like you were saying in your poem, like I've never experienced that. I never felt the hug or embrace of a father. I've never been able to run up to him. He's never thrown me the ball or coached me up or any of that kind of stuff. But yet I was able to do that with my son, with my daughter. And so um, I just want to shift just a little bit. So um, you talked about, you know, serving together with your family. Um, and, and they're a little young now that, so it may have, or may not be, but there comes a point where being black and being a Christian, um, becomes a controversial thing, you know, especially yeah. when you really care about black people and about the plight of black people, people will say, well, why are you a Christian then? You know, if you care that much about black people, why are you a Christian? How do you balance those scales there? Yeah, I mean, some of it is is just right. Like there, even though even though the information is very clearly available, <laughs> there there is a problem in the black community that we still treat Christianity like the white man's religion, right? Like we still go to churches that have pictures of white Jesuses in them. Like, and right. I and I and even when you but when you sit down with your children and, and you teach them about the geography of the Bible and you realize that it took place in Northern Africa, like this becomes a moot point. Right. Like like Christianity was whitewashed by the Roman Empire. Like that's just true. Like it is a factual statement. Like if you look at early pictures of apostles and disciples that were that were done by early Christians that have been discovered by historians like Eusebius and all these other people, like in 300, 400 A.D., all of those pictures, those people look like us. Like right. they're brown, they're dark skinned <laughs> photos. Right. right? Like right. Jesus had skin of bronze. So it's like. And so for me, it's a it's a it's a moot argument because the argument itself is being based on a white supremacist lie. So my thing is like, why am I arguing with you? Like, I will agree that the Christianity of white Jesus was an affront and was used to yeah. abuse black people. Absolutely. But Jesus is not white like that is white supremacist Christianity. It is not biblical Christianity. So I'm like. And so when I when I make that differentiation and even making that differentiation with my children, like I am very I keep it 100 with my kids about <laughs> right, like uh, about the, you know, the, the models that Da Vinci used, the the yeah. images perpetuated by the Roman um, Roman Empire. Right. Like 
the, you know, my man Jerome Gay wrote the book, The Whitewashing of Christianity, that I did a video. Like, my kids watch that video. My kids listen to my podcast. My kids will tear up most apologists and they're 13 <laughs> and 11 years old. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody wants to smoke with my 13-year-old. I'm not arguing. <laughs> like, she wants to be a lawyer and she will go in on people. And I've seen her, like, defend that, right? And be able to do it easily because... That's the one thing, like, even when we were in churches that were majority white spaces, like, my kids have always been aware of their ethnicity, and my kids have always been aware of the, of the G, and, and, and one of the reasons is, like, I walked away from Christianity and became an atheist as a kid because it was, because I was involved in a white man's Christianity, right? right? I was involved in white supremacist, white imagery, Christianity, that didn't respect or appreciate the value of black bodies and the Imago day that God created us all in with these hues and shades. So like that. So when I came back to Christianity, like I came back with the understanding like that, that is a lie. Like that right. is not Jesus. Like I, I've, you know, I've walked out of majority white churches and say, y'all worship America, not Jesus. Like you're an, you're an American, right. you're culturally Christian, but you're not biblically Christian. Right. right. Like you're American cultural Christian, which is inherently Constantinian Christianity, which means it's whitewashed white supremacist Christianity. So you actually need to go find Jesus because you don't know him. Right. Right. Like and, you know, and because I've asked people that weird question, if you close your eyes, what color is Jesus? I said, because if you close your eyes and if Jesus is white and it's that that picture of Caesar Borger, like you have right. been worshiping <laughs> a dead man, you've been worshiping a dead man that did not raise and go to the and go go sit next to the father you did so you need to reconcile that because when when you when your savior and i say this about black people too like stop giving stop giving jesus dreadlocks because people in africa don't have dreadlocks <laughs> right you know what i'm saying like like dreadlocks are an indian and jamaican tradition like i'm jamaican right. like i know where dreadlocks come from and because it's ethnically associated with black people that's not an african thing the bible is a north african story right like they like people in Africa don't grow long hair. It's hot. You know what I'm saying? Like, like even that's why the whole, like, you know, like the, the that's why I'd like to be a Nazarene. Let your hair grow. I was weird. You're like, why yeah. are you growing your hair and your beard? It's freaking hot out here. Cut that stuff off. Um, but, and I, and I think that's one of the things. So I've been like real with my children in that regard, but they've seen us navigate through spaces that were dominated by people who were American cultural Christians. And they've seen the difference. Right. So I think um, be like and you, you just got to have a real conversation. And for black families, it has to start with that delineation. Yeah. There was a Christianity that was intentionally whitewashed, manifest destiny. Right. Like the, the papal bulls. Right. Like all of that <laughs> other stuff. Like read it like they use Christianity to justify colonization. Yeah. And that's what led to chattel slavery. But while they were doing that, Christianity was working its way down through Africa and Ethiopian, Ethiopia became a Christian Ethiopia, nation yeah. and people in Egypt, right? So like Christianity was in Africa spreading south while Christianity was being politicized by the Roman government and then spread through colonization and force. So like, that's just the reality. So when it's those two paths, like, I'm not going to argue with you that white, like that people who think Jesus is white is an affront and in, in, in damaging to black imagery, right? Because black in itself exists in America in relation to inferiority to white, right? Like there was, there was a white supremacist ideology. There were Europeans that came together and collectively decided to be white. And then they assigned right. black to an inferior group of people. 
So like even that that juxtaposition is like we are inferior. We assigned it to you. We didn't collectively get together as Africans and say that we wanted to be to be Negroes, that we wanted right. to be <laughs> that we wanted to be the N words. Right. Like we didn't say that. Like all of those are titles that have been given to us. Right. So like pulling out of that and say, OK, like the, the title that was given to me is to be a child of God. The title that was given to there me is to be in the Imago Day, and like we have culture based on our ethnicity and where our people came from um, and the things that they survived, but you've just got to cut that out. And I think a lot of people try not to have that real conversation about cultural Christianity because I don't know if they think it's too young or it's too much or it's going to make you know people too controversial. But if you don't have that conversation, then when you get a front, when you get you get fronted by the you know the Hebrew Israelite or right. the comedic <laughs> scientist and all of these other people that are like, why are you falling into that white man's religion? Cause then I say like, you're giving the white man credit for something that was made in Africa. Right. So that's my problem with you. Like they, they didn't make this. They tried to, they tried to, that's like giving, you know, that's like giving Caucasians credit for pyramids. Like they didn't build them. Like they didn't make this. So it's not, so you, you can't just because they tried to misuse it. That doesn't mean that what was built is wrong. It means that we need to, that we need to take ownership of it, right? And then make sure that we're delineating the difference between a white supremacist ideology that was called Christianity and the biblical, right? The biblical love thy neighbor, right? Non-supremacist model of Christianity. Yeah, definitely. Because when you, like you said, a biblical Christianity throughout the Bible, you know, uh, people of color have significant roles from beginning to end, right? And so uh, to to make it seem like, you know, um, this is a white man's religion, like you said, we have to delineate. We have to say, yeah, there is a portion of this that has been taken over and misused and abused. You know, people will bring up the crusades and things like that. And, you know, when you tell them, well, those people weren't Christians, they just used the symbol of the cross. That doesn't mean that they were Christians. Well, you know, no. don't put that on. Same Christian thing, like Constantine. Ideology. Like everybody talks about Constantine's conversion. He wasn't a like Christian. Constantine was not a Christian. He, <laughs> he was, was still being worshipped. He was still being worshipped as a pagan god. Yeah. While building a Christian army, like no, he right. was just putting a cross on his shield. That's, that's all he did. Um, and moving <laughs> it forward. And again, God used it. God uses everything, right? God used that to advance the. You know what I'm saying? Advance the the agenda that he had. But it was like that. God, you know, God used Pharaoh. That don't mean Pharaoh was, he wasn't a devout right. Jew, but like he forwarded <laughs> the story of what God was moving forward right. um, to, to fulfill ultimately what the, what the, what the calling is. So yeah, man. So I, I think that's, I, I think it's important, but yeah, like, you know, and so, but again, like making sure they understand the, their identity, making sure that we're understanding the geography of the Bible, like where is Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai ain't the Swiss Alps. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like just look at the geography and then and, and then have that conversation. Because God, God, and I tell my children this and my wife, and when I teach, like, God put his story where he did for a reason. Right? Like he put his story where you've got the intermingling of Caucasians, Asians, right? Af like you can get any blend of people from like that Egyptians. one segment. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like that one segment of the, of the world, like the difference in hue and melanin because of the environments, right? So you look in that area, you go a little bit north, you go from extreme cold to extreme heat to like Mediterranean seas that give people olive, olive colored um, undertones. And then, you know what I mean? Like the, the light that, that leads to the difference in eyes, like 
like all of that. It's like right there in that area to have Asiatic and Germanic and like all of that stuff because God knew he, you know, he was going to have a kingdom of many nations. Yeah. And so he put it there and then yeah. it could split out from there, right? And then you can go or you can hit the entire world um, from that space. But the other thing, and, and again, I think the evil of white supremacy is that God clearly introduced his religion into a group of brown people. Because the majority of the world, the global population is brown. So they could relate to a brown savior. They could relate to brown disciples. But then that was hijacked. And the lowest population of people, the lowest density of people from a demographic color in the world are those of a lighter hue, are those who are Caucasian. Because it is a small geographic area, right? Like everywhere else in the world, people are brown. So it's like God did that on purpose, right? Like he brought his message through brown people because if you're going to spread that to the world, then people should be able to see a savior that looks like them and and be able to have that equality because like God, God, God brought it into that, that part of the world for a reason. But then when you hijack that image, whitewash it and then set it up as a superior hue, set it up as a superior, um, you know, blue hair, you know, Aryan, whatever. Um, you know, you're just, you're manipulating the, you're manipulating the message of the Bible and using the, the character of Jesus, which is supposed to be the perfect example of humanity lived out. And then you put it, you put the image that you're trying to perpetuate, um, as superior on top of it. So, yeah. And then you, and then you create, you know, uh, people, you know, you create these factions, you know, that now want to rail against this false thing as if they're railing against the true thing and so the thing that you're coming against is not even actually the thing you know yeah you're you're actually seeing correctly that that's not it and that is wrong so let's get on the page like you said and do our study and get into our word and understand what it's supposed to look like versus railing against what is wrong we're going to point that out but now we're going to be the change right <laughs> that we want to yeah. see we're going to we're going to be that we're not going to perpetuate these cycles over and over again and doing the same thing over and over again. When people come in my office, I have this picture, you know, of a, a brown Jesus going to the cross and people are like, man, where you get that from? I'm like, hey, you know, it was given <laughs> to me. And so I hang it up nice and proudly, you know, and yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, because at first, and I'm going to tell you this, at first uh, there was kind of a weird, like, should I do that? Right. Because yeah. culturally, like you said, um, it, you know, your, your thought, like, wait a minute, is that too bold? Is that too, you know, am I, am I creating friction? Like, no, you know, when you read your Bible, this was, this was going to be an olive colored to Brown, the darker skinned human being. It wasn't, he wasn't white. He not necessarily is African, but he is dark. You know, he yeah, is going to he be is Brown, a, a Brown, yeah, he is a person <laughs> yeah. of color. Right. Like we keep forgetting that white and black are social constructs. They're right. not ethnicities. They're not, right? yeah. And I have that argument too, because be like, Jesus is black. No, he's not. Jesus no, he's not. is not a, a subjected social class that's inferior to white supremacy. Like that, cre- that is we not created. what Jesus is. We created that. Like Jesus is Jewish. That's what he is. Um, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think that's a conversation you have to ha- have because there are people that are, you know, pro-black that you know, want you to get rid of the white man's religion instead of, you know, understanding that, you know, it was hijacked and it's our job to be authentic and take it back to what it's really supposed to be so that people would understand 
you know, what that really looks like. And so um, being, being black, being a father, being a Christian, you know, just recently, um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit beforehand, you know, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, you know, it's kind of divided Christianity, right? It's kind of, it's like split us. And it was surprising because for, for me, and I, and I said this off air for me, um, the the Roe versus Wade kind of leaves me unaffected because my job as a pastor doesn't change. I still have to teach, you know, God's will as it relates to sexual, you know, immorality and, and, and sexuality and things like that. I still have to teach God's will as it relates to, you know, marriage being the optimum situation to raise kids, you know, that that's that, you know, and that casual, you know, sex is what's leading to the need for abortions. And in the churches, you know, we don't really address things like that. You know, we'll stay away from something like that, but yet you'll see, you know, people go and protest and sit on, you know, the Capitol steps, you know, fighting against abortion, but those pastors won't go back to their congregations and and and, and teach on sexual purity, teach on the right confines of marriage and, and, and slow things down because what if we have the answer to that issue? And yes, I, I am, I'm, I'm not for, you know, aborting babies. So that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that that's not the problem. That's actually the symptom of the problem. Yeah. And I, and I, and we, like, we talked about this a little bit. I agree hundred percent, right? Like, I don't, I don't think, like, and you just said it, like there's, there, there hasn't been a pro-abortion side, right? It was, it was pro-life and pro-choice. It wasn't like pro-abortion and anti-abortion, but pro-life really became anti-abortion that's what it is um, right because like because you're pro-life but you're for capital punishment right you're pro-life but you don't have a problem when when police officers execute vigilante justice on the streets like you're right like you're pro-life but you own multiple weapons and and will respond with fatal violence if somebody tries to take property when jesus said that if somebody tries to steal a coat from you give them your tunic as well. So like, like, are you really pro-life, right? Or no, you're not pro-life, you're anti-abortion. So let's, let's get it together. And I like to mess with people because I like to be myself and I don't care about people's camps. I'm like, I'm pro-choosing life, (laughs) right? Like I'm pro that in every situation I choose life, right? So like, you know what I mean? Like if it's, if it's the ability to reconcile, to reconcile a murderer who committed, you know, who committed an, an atrocious thing, like, let them, you know, let them do that. But then there's an opportunity to choose life. And I know a lot of people that I got saved on death row, we all done seen the documentaries, like, it's still an opportunity for God to restore those people. Um, So, but yeah, like, for me, and, and we, you know, for me, and I've had this conversation with a few people, right? And I, I got to keep it a hundred, I got to savage truth them. Like, <laughs> the, fr- the frustrating thing is that we're, we're having conversations about abortion and Roe v. Wade, and we're talking about it as a, um, it's a woman's health issue, it's a woman's choice issue, but like pregnancy is the chemical result of a of, of a of a heterosexual, right? Or you know, of a heterosexual yeah. activity between a man and a woman, between you know, like semen and ovaries and uteruses, and like that's what happens, right? So what's frustrating to me is that we we keep having these conversations. And I keep seeing men and pundits and, and I even had to get on the people in my discord channel. I'm like, there's women in this community. Why is there only men right now talking Mm. about Roe v. Wade? Like that's the only ones talking. Like we're not even giving them an opportunity to speak. We just run it off at the mouth, but nobody's talking about a man's responsibility with regards to pregnancy. Right. I was telling somebody the other day, you telling me we done had 50 years of science since Roe v. Wade 
and can't nobody figure out how to make a birth control pill that makes men sterile instead of us putting the responsibility on controlling conception on women, right? Like we are the seed bearers. We are the ones that were, that were giving the headship and the commandment to be fruitful and to multiply. So the multiplication is on us, right? Like the ground is there, but like we got to plant the seed for that to be multiplied. So like, I, I, I hate the fact, and I will say hate, that there are no conversations about the responsibility of men, especially in the church, right? Because you can have a young man who gets a girl pregnant in church and all the attention is on her. Is on her. You're right. And she can only be pregnant with one baby at a time. <laughs> but he can be fruitful and multiplying all over the east side. Come on now. Right. But like we don't we don't have that conversation. So like we sit here and we applaud and we laugh about basketball players that got 12 wives and Nick Cannon just getting everybody pregnant, right? And he just want to repopulate himself. And like we're not putting the responsibility. So I'm like, and I was telling like, you want to have some policy around around controlling reproductive rights, then make it a minimum child support that put, make sure that a children a, a child lives above poverty for every man who impregnates a woman. And if you can't pay that bill, then I'm going to put you in a job where you will do manual labor or some task where I will extract from you the cost that it requires to raise a child since you want to run around here planting the seed, right? Because like we put the response, like you look, I mean, when you look at the numbers, you have wives that get abortions yeah, because they missed a birth control pill and they don't want to go have that conversation with their husband after they agreed that we're not going to have any more children. So you go in to get a plan B pill because we put the responsibility on not multiplying on the women, right? Like when, when we are supposed to be the head, when, when we are supposed to have the fruits of the spirit to exercise self-control, right? But then like we, we put that responsibility on them. So my whole side of this argument or my whole side of this conversation is where like, if you read Roe v. Wade, if you read the, the overturned decision with the, with the clinic in Mississippi, there is not a mention of a man anywhere in it. And I have not seen a pundit. I haven't seen a politician. I haven't seen a news article, a Christian, a pastor, a blogger, or anybody say, where is the responsibility on men? Like, where do men need to step up? Every single one of these babies got a father. Every <laughs> single one of them. I don't care if the father is donor number 672. From the local, from the local sperm bank, that baby still has a father because that seed had to come from a man. So, like, maybe this conversation would be different if the burden and the responsibility was equally placed upon the shoulders of men. And like, and I told somebody, I said, we've been, you know, everybody lining up at Planned Parenthood trying. To, I was like, why Planned Parenthood ain't getting funded by philanthrop philanthropic organizations to get free vasectomies? <laughs> First of all, vasectomies can be reversed. Anthony, vasectomies yeah. can be reversed. Yeah, you're right. You're right. A, hyster a hysterectomy cannot. <laughs> right. So, like, why why are we not why are we not advocating in the healthcare space if we really care about right. parenting reproductive and reproductive health, rights? Right? <laughs> why why are abortions and contraception for women covered under health insurance? But if you want a condom or a vasectomy, you got to pay out of pocket. Like there, there's very basic fundamental things that like, if you're actually trying to control the problem, again, I said it earlier, I'm an applications engineer, I get the root cause. So like the root cause of pregnancy is a man impregnating a woman. And especially when it's an unplanned pregnancy, most yeah. women who are paying for in vitro and sperm donations are not getting abortions, right? Like 
It's it's an unplanned pregnancy. Some of it is due to violence exhibited by men. Some of it is due by to incest, exi- you know, at the hands of men. Some of it, right? Like all of this stuff is deception at the hands of men. Like, oh, I got a condom. I don't. Like, blah 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 blah. Like right. all of this, all of that side is on the responsibility of men. But other than weighing in on their opinion on what women should be doing, men are silent. So I'm like, unless you want to go start having some groups about how to round people up and how to raise funding for vasectomies and free condoms or do some medical research to figure out how people can take a pill that sterilizes them for a month instead of us manipulating the chemistry of every woman in the country and then wondering why they all got attitudes and we don't right. know what's going on because their hormones is all jacked <laughs> up we don't, because we're not taking responsibility. We are not taking responsibility and we're supposed to be the head. I tell everybody all the time, the Bible told women to submit but the Bible only called the husband to sacrifice in Ephesians 5.25. That's so it. we're supposed to be sacrificing. So why am I, and, and, I, and I'll tell you right now, I my wife is not on birth control because I don't want my wife's hormones being manipulated so that like I don't have to be the one responsible for, for self-control and making sure that if we're multiplying, that it's, you know what I mean? That like, that it is what it is. But I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I can't, I don't want to put that on her because you know why? I read the side effects. So all the men that's reading this, go look at the side effects of your wife's birth control and realize that a decreased sex drive is one of them. And you wonder why she don't want you sometimes. It's because <laughs> of the pills she's on. Um, it ain't because it ain't you're ugly. It's because it's, it's the chemical sometimes. Uh, uh, well, you might be ugly in spirit. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. If you ain't acting right, you shouldn't get none. But, but I, think that's the, I think that's the real thing, man. And like, so in this whole discussion, like, that's where I'm at with it. Like, and you know, we talked earlier, I, no matter how much we keep trying in society to legislate morality, that does not work. Right. Like you, you know, you live in Colorado. I lived in Colorado, right? Like legalizing marijuana was such a concern for people because the only, like you did not have the spiritual fortitude and the intellectual um, morality to not do drugs. Right. And now it's legal. And now you are afraid that your kid is going to do drugs. Like, I mean, and, and it's, you know, even go to that's the same thing with same-sex marriage. Like, you make same-sex marriage legal, which has been legal in New York for several years and Massachusetts for several I'm not going to go marry a man because you Just made it because. legal. Like, your law <laughs> does not change my sexuality. Your law does not change my my idea or my opinion or or my morality when it comes to illicit drug use or recreational drug use or recreational sex, right. for that matter. When you talk about, right, like, I, I agree, right? Like, a church does not talk about sexual immorality. And we do not openly condemn recreational sex the way we should. And what do we preach as repentance from recreational sex? Marry the person that you got pregnant. <laughs> and then we wonder why there's so many divorces in the church. Yeah. Because that's not repentance, <laughs> right? Like we should have we had you in a better mindset um, because you're still not getting out of that mentality um, that sex is something for recreational use and not right. that it's this amazing thing that God created that allows man and woman together to to have the same power that he had, mm, yeah. which was to create life. Yeah. Right. I told my wife that I was like, I was like, I don't know why God puts weird stuff on my mind, but like, I just had that thought one day. I'm like, God created man out of nothing. Mm. Right. Like just made it. But he, and, but he only shares that with him and her. Right. So, right. Cause he said he met, we, we make both of them in our image. Right. 
Like God said that he was making yeah. we made we made male and female and in female. our image. Yeah, that's it. So like the the combination of the two of us is when we're actually the closest to God. There it is. Because like in that in that space is where we can actually create life, right? And I'm like, but the enemy's trick is to make that significant spiritual creative act, right? Something that can literally make life out of nothing to make that insignificant and to make it recreational. Man. And that in the church missing that and not speaking on that, I think is foundationally one of the biggest problems we've had for a generation. And now, right? Like sex is a recreational thing and people act like sex does not create babies. Right. Like it does. Right. And the fact that we're, we don't really see it that way is why people are like, right. Like people are surprised. And then that leads to decisions that lead you to go, to Planned Parenthood for your unplanned pregnancy, yep. right? It's like, yep. like, oh, like I really forgot that this act could bring life. And now like there's there's life here. Like I can't deal with that. But that was what's happened. Like that, that's biology. Like that's just, that's how that, but when you disconnect that, when you disconnect procreation and you just make it recreation, <laughs> Right. Yeah, so like yeah. I can just keep doing this again and again and again when there is no pull, when there's no pro in there and we're not actually generating life. It, it, it creates some kind of disconnect. Right. Like there's a disconnect from the mind that like the significance of what this of what this actually is. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy. But because yeah. because like you said, we, we make the 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 side effect the primary goal. Right. Because there's a side yeah, yeah. effect to procreation and, and, and that's pleasure, you know, that and, and God's not against that. The scripture says that, you know, a man should, you know, uh, uh, be satisfied by his own cistern, right? <laughs> that he's supposed yeah. to be enraptured in her love. So the, the wife of his youth. So God doesn't have a problem with that. But when we make that the primary goal, now we flip the whole dynamic and well, I don't, I don't need marriage for that. I don't need anything. I, we're just going after the pleasure principle, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. steal a phrase, right? You know, that's, that's all we're about. And I, and I think you're hitting it on, on the head when you take away the pro and now you just got recreation, you know, we're, we're in trouble. And I, and that's what leads to, you know, these scenarios. I heard one pastor saying, you know, that he was, he was weeping for the women of this nation, you know, and like you said, um, why, why aren't we uh, going to our men instead of weeping for the women? Why aren't we challenging our men? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I oh, think about bruh, Jesus. the week, the week after we had our, we had our Saturday men's ministry meeting. I went ham. I did too. I went ham in the men's ministry <laughs> I did, meeting. I, I did too. Like, I started talking about like, I'm the second youngest person at our men's ministry meeting. So everybody that I'm talking to in there is uncles, grandfathers, great grandfathers. I'm like, we need to fix this with our sons. Like, we're not like, what are we doing? Like this, right. this isn't a conversation, right? Like, well, you know, and cause it, you know, like, cause it's excuses and blame and like, like, no, we own this. Like, this is on us. Yeah. Um, and we gotta, we gotta do something about it. Like we keep talking about all these men running, new young boys don't know how to mm -hmm. act. This, that, and the third. It was like, they yeah, they don't know how to act. They ain't got no fathers. You need they to got, show them. Right. Exactly. You need to show them, you know, it's like the, uh, the, you know, when Jesus, uh, they brought to Jesus the woman that was caught in a very act of adultery. I don't know how many men were standing there, but there's a group of men 
bringing this woman to Jesus, <laughs> you know, and, and, and Jesus does something that's very subtle that most people miss is that Jesus holds the men accountable. He says, well, wait a minute. If you are without sin, then go ahead and stone her. You know, yeah. since since you know what the law teaches, right? You, you you're coming to me, giving me a theological lesson on what the law teaches. You're bringing this to me. Hey, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And the Bible says that from the from the oldest to the youngest, they all walked away. And it's interesting to me that that should be the way that the oldest should be teaching the younger right? Yeah. The oldest should be giving the example. And like you said, I, and I asked this, this question in our men's group. Um, I asked, I said, why don't men hold men accountable? I said, why, why don't they do that? Why, why won't godly men hold other men who say that they're Christians, they're men of God, accountable to the things that we're, and man, and I said, I want y'all to be honest and I want y'all to give me the right answer. I want you to give me the real answer. Give me <laughs> the answers that you don't want to say. I want yeah. you. And man, the answers I got, you know, Roy, you would have been like, wow. But it's real, you know, that a lot, a lot of men feel like, well, who am I? Who am I to yeah. say this to this guy? And what if he don't like what I have to say? What if he say, mind your business? What if he, you, you know, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, there was some real open authentic conversation and i felt like it was necessary for us to shift towards you know uh, moving into you know proper manhood biblical manhood because i said you know people are talking about godly husbands and godly leaders we need first godly men <laughs> yeah you know if you're a godly man then you will progress to being a godly husband or a godly leader that's that that's natural progression but how do we become godly men and so i think you're you're right on target is that we need to be having more candid and direct conversations with men. And we need men that love the men around them enough that they're not afraid of them because love will cast out fear. If you really care about people, you'll, you'll, you'll step in there and say, Hey man, I got to say this to you. I, I'm not going to yeah. run from you. I, I need you to know this. And we need more men to operate in that type of love of their neighbor where they'll speak the truth in love and they'll step up in that area. Yep. And I, and like you said, and I think, you know, and, and that's one of the, in our men's ministry, that's what we've been talking about. Like when David um sitting down in, in Kings and was talking to Solomon and was like, um like prove yourself to be a man. And we, so we've been having like <laughs> recurring conversation on what does that mean? Like, what, what did does he that mean? mean? Like he didn't say, like you just said, he didn't say be a King. He didn't say be a general. He didn't say be a warrior. He didn't say be a husband. He said, be a man, right? Because if you're a man and you learn how to be a man, you learn how to be a godly man, all of that other stuff follows. You learn how to be a godly man, you'll be a godly husband. You know how to be a godly man, you'll be a godly friend and a mentor and a coach, right? And you would know how to be a king yeah. um, when you were when you were given authority, when you were given um, when you're when you're given uh, like providence over people, right? And it's like even being in leadership roles in like corporate America for the longest, it's so weird to me to see people with so much power who are so insecure in their manhood, <laughs> right? Right? Like I mean, like paid. You know what I mean? Like degrees on the wall, like like ever. You would think that, like, but they're normally the most insecure people because, like, they're not holding on to something. They're chasing something, right? Like, I'm. I'll, I'll be a man when I get my MBA. I'll be a yeah. man when I become a, a director. I'll be a man when I become a vice president. I'll be a man when I become a CEO. I'll be a man when I hit a million. I'll be a man when I hit ten million. But it never. But it never fulfills them. They just keep chasing it. 
Yeah. Where like I I operate from a function of like I am a man and I know right. what kind of man I'm trying to be and then everything else I do is out of that. Like I'm not chasing anything. So you also can't pull me in right. the wrong direction right. because I'm not <laughs> I'm not trying to find any validation in what you're saying or what you're doing. Like I'm just trying to be who God called me to be and like I'm going to be a man in every space that I step into. Like if I'm somewhere and there's kids acting out, I'm going to be daddy. <laughs> I don't care whose kids you are, right? If I'm in a place, like I've been in places before and I mean, and almost, you know, almost had to come to blows with men who were being hostile and disrespectful towards waitresses or whatever else. Like I'm going to be a man anywhere that I go. You're not going to put your hands on a woman in front of me. You're not going to be super disrespectful to children in front of me. You're not going to condescend. Like, you're not going to do that around me because I am a man. That's it. And I will represent men anywhere. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have a problem checking you on a plane. Like, I don't check people at planes, restaurants, hotel check-ins, <laughs> Walmarts. I don't care. And it's funny because you see like, and it's not like in an aggressive way, but it's right. just like, you know what a man is supposed to look like and you're not acting like you're one not right acting now. Like and, I, right. and I probably, out of all of these years, bro, I've probably had one or two like hostile responses and those people are always intoxicated, right? Um, and it's like, but everybody else is just like, honestly, they receive it because it's man to man. Like, I'm not trying to physically challenge you. Right, I'm right. not, like, I'm just letting you know, you know you're not being a man right now. Like, you know what it looks like and you know you're not doing it. So you need to check yourself. And people are always like, you know, um, I, or they, or they apologize. My bad. You know, I had a long day. Like, that's fine, but that's not their problem. You know what I'm saying? Be a man, like cut it out. Um, and that's, but yeah, a lot of people are afraid of that. I, mean, I remember I asked, I asked that a similar question that you did, like what's stopping you? And they were like, yeah, like I done said stuff before <laughs> and the young boy squared up on me. Right, like, right. gonna pull a gun out on me. And I'm like, I don't know how y'all talking to people. Like, we might need to have some conversations about approach. Right. Cause about how to I talk to say, people. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you know how to talk to folk. Because I done said a lot of crazy stuff to people. And ain't nobody ever tried to fight me over it unless they were just drunk and couldn't process what I was saying. But, but yeah, man. So that's, but I, I think it's a, again, I just think it's a blessing that there are men who are, who are coming to that point um, where we're just like, like some got to be different, like some got to be different. Right. And that's, and you know, and I always, I always joke and we, you know, the, the kind of last thing I think I'll talk about when it comes to fathers, like I'm a black father. And I think one, one thing it took me a minute to realize is that even my daughters for the last couple of years, right. And I, I, I appreciate the sentiment. My daughters were always like, um, like daddy, when we grow up, we want to marry a man like you. And then it's funny. Cause like in the environments that we're in and just different, and it, and it, and like God hit me one day and my, and my, and God had to tell me, he was like, you know, that might not be black. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, hold on, what you mean? Jesus? Hold on, what you uh, mean, Jesus? <laughs> what you mean? But that's the other thing I got to think that I, and so what it, but what God put on my heart, cause my, cause my, and what, it, and what God said, he was like, he was like, ask your daughter. And I asked my daughter, I said, what quality do you see in me that you would want in a husband? And nothing that my daughter listed had anything to do with my ethnicity. Yeah, we could. Right. It had to do with how I love how I took care of my family, how I treated my wife, how I treated them. And then and then when I asked that question, then God hit me back. And he was like, So if your daughter finds somebody who does all of those things that in her, she sees you. But if he don't, he ain't the same color as you. Woo. You ready for that, Dad? Like, are you ready for that? And I was like, "Well, Jesus, I got some time, so let me." Yeah. But I, but but when that hit me, I was like, "Man, that's crazy!" Because like I mentor and I develop people of all, and like there are right. a lot of people that I come across that are like me, that have a heart yeah. like me, 
that don't they're not black right, right. I, I got people that's asian they indian right like like people from all other other kind of dynamics so that's the other piece of advice that i would offer to black fathers especially out here in these diverse streets of america you know i know you're in colorado you got hispanics out there well, you yeah got everything um make sure that it's our character yeah not our color that that we are making right that that like in our culture right like the culture that we that we embody in our family the character that our children see in us um especially with our daughters like that's what they're they're trying to model because i would expect the same thing for my son right like i would expect my son to be like i want a woman that loves my dad like i do right like or like you know i want you know that love like like my mom did so it's like yeah. in that same thing like they're looking at character they're looking at culture um and then when those things line up you know what i mean like that that but we got to be ready for it we got to be ready for it yeah this, yeah this world look yeah. different out here in these streets than it did you, you're absolutely right and you know and my wife and 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 her sisters they always they tell me this all the time They're like hey you done ruined it for a lot of guys you know that it's gonna be tough for her to find somebody that ma that matches up to her dad and the way he you know and it's like hey you know i'm i'm, I'm okay with that because if that man is willing to step up to that standard, you know, then yeah. he'll do her right. And he'll, he'll love her like Christ loved the church, like you said, and, and sacrifice, you know, because no man hated his own flesh, but he cherishes it and nurtures it. And that's what you want, you know, for that individual that comes along for your daughter, you know, so um, I'm, I'm with that definitely. And so Pastor Roy, man, this has been edifying i'm i'm praying that everybody listening and uh, this will be a live premiere and so man you guys hopefully you've been blowing up the chat and and, and dropping stuff in there um and talking and all that kind of stuff because this this is definitely a, a great subject and we covered a lot of ground you know in this conversation so last but not least i always have my guests pray for our viewers you know, based upon the subject matter that we talked about. So we're praying for men. And I know we're both passionate about men and fathers. So, you know, hey, if you don't, if you don't mind uh, to pray for our, our listeners. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Definitely, Father, we come before you today, today God, just to, to lift up your people. God, just to lift up your standard. God, to lift up your expectations. God, to lift up, lift up your directives. God, not our ways, not not our directions, God, not our preferences, God, um, but yours, but God, and, and what it means to be a man. So, Father, I pray right now for everyone under the sound of our voice. I pray for um, all the, the listeners of the Love Thy Neighbor podcast and, and everyone that may come across this, either by, by accident or by intent or just through a share um, on another post, God. We just, I thank you, God. I thank you for everyone that um, that will come in contact with this word, God, that it is a word that you have um, planted in a position, in a time, God. Um, such as this, Father, because we need to stand up. God, I pray for every man under the sound of my voice, God, to stand up and to be the sacrificial king of his household. God, I pray that um, every man under the sound of my voice, God, um, understands and, and, and grows in the strength of what you called him to be, to stand as the, as the head, God, not to be somebody that's domineering, God, not to be someone that's trying to, to dominate, God, but someone that's working in collaboration um, with their wives and with the women in their lives. Um, to, to build up a generation, God, to raise children, God, to, that will know you, to raise children, Father, that will, um, that will find faith in you on their own. And, and even like Anthony said, to be able to walk out that faith when they, when they depart the house and when they go on their own ways. God, I pray for uh, provision, Father. I pray that in these times of 
economic crisis, God, that um, that people are are guarded, God, that they are, they are counting the cost, Father, that they're um, intentional about their savings and their finances, God, so that they have a storehouse uh, for their family, God. If a if a drought comes or um, or if there's a shift, Father, if there's layoffs, God, I just pray protection over jobs, Father. I pray protection over finances, God, and I pray protection over health, even, Father, as we still have um, COVID um, going around the country, God, in different ways, not as um, not as uh, as damaging or causing as many hospitalizations, God, but still calling disruptions to work, God, still causing um, um, health problems and even even financial impact, Father. So I just pray for that, God, and 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 ultimately, God, I also want to pray for every woman that's connected to every man tied to this, God. I pray that we cover our women, God. I pray that we wash them with the um, with with your word, God. I pray that we um, we cover them with just praise, God. I pray that we we cover them with strength, God. I pray that we are providers for them, God, um, that as they co-labor, as they work beside us, God, that that we work towards um that we work towards being the provider, God, that we we work towards being um uh just a, a standard God that they can that they can look to, God, uh, a refuge, God, that they can um that they can trust um through you, God, that we will um be able to 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 maintain and sustain God and just be a rock, God, in the midst of turmoil. Um, and just and just disarray that's going on in this world. So, so God, I just pray for them right now, God. And like I said, for every woman that's connected to a man, God, I pray um, that even if they don't have men in their lives, God, I pray for um, for men to step in um, if they're raising young men, God. If they need uh, father figures, for, um, God, that they they find mentors, that they find godly men, um, or those that are willing to pour in and to be an example. Because even as Anthony and I said. Um, there are there are different men in different spaces that may not have been biological fathers, but they were people who were examples in in periods of time and um, in seasons of life. God, that we were able to glean from, that we were able to pull um, some some nugget of knowledge, some some wisdom, um, and some some direction, Father, that allowed us to to be better um, than than what we were given. So. God, we love you and we thank you. Um, just continue to to bless this uh, this podcast, God, the the video, the the audio, God, that your message reaches the people that you intend for it to reach, God. Because it is not the numbers, God. It's not even the influence, God. But it's the impact that we can have for your kingdom. Um, that is ultimately what we should be measuring. So we love you and we thank you. And it's in the name of your Son Jesus. I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Well. I want to thank you guys for listening and watching the love thy neighbor podcast network uh thank you again uh roy pastor roy uh sabbath truth sabbath truth uh um make sure that you guys check him out um he's all over the place with discord and and uh with uh the the podcast and um i found him on youtube so i'm pretty sure you guys can find him on there if you're not already watching um remember to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. God bless you. Thanks for listening.